This free program is paid for by the listener members of KPFK. If you're not already a member, consider joining with us and keep free speech alive. You're going to love this. Just love it. Oh, I hope so. I do. I do every week. It's never right. That's why I'm here. If it was right, I wouldn't bother. Stuck in the middle with you. Clowns to the left of me. I don't want to say anything, Desi Doyen, but uh, that was what was lyric as you walked in the door. Clowns to the left of me. Welcome, everyone, to your broadcast. Right here on KPFK, we are live in Los Angeles. KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. We are also heard, if you uh, make the mistake of missing any particular broadcast, on the Stitcher radio app and the TuneIn radio app. You can uh, hear us, uh, I think we, we get archived uh, pretty quickly after the... Uh, after the show is over. I am, of course, Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. We are, as I say, live this afternoon and very happy you can join us. Uh, we're going to flip things around a little bit. Usually we bring in uh, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report near the end of the broadcast. We're going to change things around a little bit, uh, given what happened on Monday at the uh, uh, president's second inaugural address and the, frankly, remarkable amount of time uh, that he gave uh, to to climate change. Kind of shocked the world, at least shocked the environmentalists who, after four years of uh, hoping and praying he would do more, kind of planned on him doing not much at all, certainly in the inaugural address, but he, he kind of shocked everyone. So uh, to that end, I'm going to bring in uh, Desi Doyen in a moment, and then we're going to be joined by Joe Rome from uh, Center for American Progress's climateprogress.org with an interesting take, not just on um, on the inaugural address, but also his prediction about the Keystone XL pipeline and uh, whether uh, Barack Obama and the State Department will end up approving of that pipeline or not. And if you're not familiar with what it's really about, we'll get into those uh, into those details as well. Also coming up on the broadcast today, uh, a bit of news. We'll wait till the I'll, I'll tease this. We'll do this at the bottom of the hour. Uh, a bit of news, some good news for KPFK listeners and for fans of Tom Hartman. That's all I'm going to say. So I'll, uh, well, well, Des, remind me to break that news at the bottom of the hour. Okay. Okay, and, uh, oh, before you say hello, we need your theme, don't we? D- Gee, we have it. There we go. It's not easy being green. <laughs> I See, we got everything upside so down today, other. but we don't want to <laughs> miss a bit. Topsy-turvy world. Indeed. Welcome, Desi Doyen, our uh, green correspondent, our, our uh, producer here, and, of course, my co-host on the Green News Report, heard on fine progressive radio stations like KPFK. 
Um, and Des, should we get right to the Green News Report and then uh, and bring you and and Joe Roman for, yes, please uh, for do. some thoughts uh, on this? Sets up everything. Also, by the way, our phone number uh, we'll we'll try to get to some calls this afternoon. Eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. We always love to hear from you. These are your public airwaves. Please use them before you lose them more than you already have. So we'll try to get to some of your calls also in a bit. You can tweet me at the Brad Blog if you are so inclined. All right, let's get right to the Green News Report and then our uh, extended uh, conversation on just what the hell this president must be thinking. We will respond to the threat of climate change, knowing that the failure to do so would betray our children and future generations. Obama talks big on climate at his second inaugural. Tackling climate change and enhancing energy security uh, was and will be among his top priorities in the second term. But will the administration follow with action? Once you get by the election, I really believe that he'll approve the Keystone Pipeline. As a final decision on the Keystone XL Pipeline and other climate conundrums loom in the second term of President Barack Hussein Obama. All of those looming conundrums and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comments. The president will build on, when it comes to climate change, the progress that uh, was achieved in his first term. Yep, that's just what I'm worried about, Mr. Press Secretary. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it was a very big day on Monday for environmentalists as the president of the United States in his second inaugural address put more time into climate change, I think, than any other single issue in the entire speech. Yes, it was his most direct statement ever on climate change policy. He called out deniers in the speech and also acknowledged the ups and downs on the road to a low-carbon economy. Here's some of what he said. Some may still deny the overwhelming judgment of science, but none can avoid the devastating impact of raging fires and crippling drought and more powerful storms. The path towards sustainable energy sources will be long and sometimes difficult. But America cannot resist this transition. We must lead it. We cannot cede to other nations the technology that will power new jobs and new industries. We must claim its promise. And for the first time, he made a moral case for climate action appealing to evangelical Christians. That's how we will maintain our economic vitality and our national treasure. Our forests and waterways, our croplands and snow-capped peaks. That is how we will preserve our planet, commanded to our care by God. In response to the speech, environmental groups generally are cautiously optimistic, acknowledging the reality of Republican obstruction in Congress. The administration has already publicly ruled out introducing a price on carbon, which economists say would be the most efficient market-based mechanism to deal with emissions. Otherwise known as a carbon tax. Right. That's the kind of carbon tax on big polluters that's already underway in Australia. But the Coke industry front group Americans for Prosperity called the inaugural remarks environmental extremism. Of course they do. In the first White House press briefing of the second term on Tuesday, White House Press Secretary Jay Carney, however, remained vague. I'm not going to speculate for you about future actions. The president made clear that he believes it's a, a priority. He has a record already of historic accomplishments in this area, but more needs to be done. And you can be sure, as he made clear yesterday, that it is an important priority. 
New York Times and The Hill both report administration sources saying Obama will concentrate instead on administrative actions rather than attempting any legislation in Congress. Those actions could include the EPA finalizing new standards to reduce emissions from existing power plants, which are the single largest source of carbon pollution. He could also try other policy changes like new energy efficiency standards for appliances and regulations for natural gas drilling. At the same time, it should be noted in his first term, uh, some of his executive actions, the actions of the EPA, he has scaled back to satisfy uh, lobbyists and uh, and corporate concerns. Yes, so, the EPA and Interior have both sort of backed off on some of the regulations that they're required by law to eventually pass. So color is dubious and skeptical at this time, but hey, that's our job. But before any of that can happen, Obama is likely to decide whether to approve or deny the controversial proposed Keystone XL pipeline that's slated to transport heavy tar sands oil from Canada across the Midwest to ports on the Gulf Coast, a decision which he postponed last year. On Tuesday, another barrier to that pipeline fell. Not surprisingly, the Republican governor of Nebraska, Dave Heineman, approved a new route for the controversial pipeline through Nebraska that was submitted by pipeline owner TransCanada, saying he is satisfied that the new route will avoid environmentally sensitive areas and urging President Obama to approve it immediately. It should be noted here that it was Republicans in Nebraska uh, who were against the first route of the Keystone XL pipeline, which led to Barack Obama uh, backing off in the first place. So now the Republicans are back on board in Nebraska. We'll see what happens. Any idea when we expect the decision? It could come at any time. Meanwhile, last week, outgoing Interior Secretary Ken Salazar finalized an initiative designating special solar energy zones on public lands in Arizona, part of an administration initiative to fast-track large-scale solar energy projects on pre-approved public lands. And the Department of Defense is moving forward as well. The U.S. military has just opened its largest solar power installation for the U.S. Army, which is now generating electricity for the White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. It's going to be a very interesting second term, to say the least. We'll see what happens. For much more on all the stories we covered today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and like us on the Facebook and follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Hey, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. All this aggravation is satisfaction in me. It ain't satisfaction in me. <laughs> A little more conversation. Uh, no, I'm sorry, a little more action, a little less conversation. Indeed, uh, good call there, Elvis, uh, and good job, uh, Desi Doyen, on the Green News Report. Can you stick around for a conversation with Joe Rome? Absolutely. All right, good, because we got a lot to cover here. Uh, Joe Rome, you're listening, by the way, to the broadcast on KPFK. Joe Rome is a fellow at the American Progress, at uh, Center for American Progress. He's the editor of Climate Progress, which the New York Times columnist Tom Friedman called the indispensable blog, but don't hold that against him. <laughs> Time Magazine also named uh, named Joe one of the tw- uh, named Climate Progress one of the 25 best blogs of 2010, and named Joe Rome a hero of the environment and the web's most influential climate change blogger. Indeed, he is. Rome was acting assistant secretary of uh, energy for energy efficiency and renewable renewable energy in 1997. I guess that would be under Bill Clinton, where he oversaw one billion dollars in R and D demonstration and deployment of low carbon technology. 
they would call that picking winners and losers today. Uh, he is a senior fellow, as I say, at American Progress, holds a Ph.D. in physics from MIT, and he is the author of Language Intelligence, Lessons on Persuasion from Jesus, Shakespeare, Lincoln, and Lady Gaga. Joe Rome, welcome, sir, to KPFK's broadcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Delighted to have you here. We've been uh, fans of yours, following you for a long time over there on Climate Progress. So uh, so really glad you could join us, particularly this week with what's going on with uh, this uh, rather surprising announcement uh, or, you know, the comments uh, that Barack Obama had during his second inaugural address that appear to have caught even you, Joe Rome. By surprise, uh, at least uh, based on your inaugural drinking game where you had planned for the president to not talk about climate change at all during his inaugural. I did, and he talked about it so much that I would have to have a <laughs> weekend uh, in Las Vegas with uh, Chelsea Handler uh, to, uh, to uh, make up for uh, the amount that he talked about it. Uh, yeah, I figure. You're probably still drunk as a skunk. Nonetheless, uh, good news, and yeah, it was quite uh, quite surprising, quite shocking, frankly, uh, that he spent apparently more time on that than any other uh, single issue in the speech. But I want to get, because I know your time is limited, uh, if we have time, I want to get to uh, some of your thoughts about what he actually can do, what President Obama can do, given this particular Congress, given the politics that we're looking at here. But you had... Um, uh, a very interesting and, and I should say even encouraging article today at Think Progress at, dot uh, org. at uh, Climate Progress, right? Dot org. There you dot go. On uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, which you had previously put the odds of approval for this dirty, filthy, terrible pipeline at uh, at 50-50, it seems you have now inched up those odds uh, in favor of rejection of the uh, Keystone pipeline. Why have you done that, sir? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if you asked around uh, Washington, I think people uh, thought that it was about 50-50, which is pretty impressive because before Bill McKibben and 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 the the mass movement began, you would have said it was a lock certain that he yeah. would have. So, um, it, you know, it's impressive what 350.org and 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 all of the activists uh, have been able to achieve. But, uh, you know, I think what's different now is, first of all, he gave the State of the Union address where he, he didn't just talk about climate, but he really talked about it in very, you know, moral terms. Mm -hmm. uh, we will respond to the threat of climate change knowing that the failure to do so would betray our children and future generations. Um, and then he talks about, you know, we need clean energy because that's how we will preserve our planet com commanded to our care by God. So, you know, th these are, I think, deservedly strong language, um, but it, it would be uh, an amazing reversal, and he would lose uh, all credibility if uh, he then opened up this spigot on one of the largest and dirtiest sources of, of carbon pollution uh, in, in the world. And yet, uh, he approved the southern leg. Do we look at his approval of the southern uh, leg of the Keystone uh, Pipeline as a uh, dangerous precedent? After all, we have the southern leg. Well, we have now we need to build the northern leg. Or is that first-term Obama and something has happened here, something uh, has changed, as signified by his remarks in the inaugural address? 
Well, I know environmentalists feel uh, like they are Charlie Brown and Obama is Lucy <laughs> with the football. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in the first term, you would have you would have been able to make a lot of money betting that that Obama was going to disappoint. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, the fundamental question is he, he doesn't have to convince anybody he's buying into this notion that, you know, building a pipeline is going to create a lot of jobs. I mean, it, it ought to be obvious that the thing that you could build that would create the least amount of permanent jobs is a pipeline, because all it does is sit there and carry, you know, uh, uh, tar sands. Right. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's not something that he, he has to do. Um, I think the, the moral argument is 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 the one that should trump everything which is that you know it's just um it is it is simply um uh not something the united states should be a party to and you know i think one has to connect this to the second reason that i'm optimistic mm-hmm. which is that he he picked john Kerry to be his secretary of state uh and the the keystone pipeline decision we learned uh yesterday is now not going to come out until after March from the State Department. Right. Uh, the State Department has to release an impact statement. The the then there's a public comment period, and then they make a final uh, recommendation to the president. The president can ignore that or not. But by then, John Kerry is going to be uh, almost certainly going to be Secretary of State. It is it is anyone who knows John Kerry and who has listened to him and seen his twenty two decades of leadership on climate, knows that 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 uh, he is a guy who understands this, he cares about it, and it's hard to believe that he would have one of his first decisions be to to open up the spigot to this, you know, uh, a dirty, tarry, uh, uh, climate-destroying uh, uh, source of energy up in uh, Canada. Joe Rome, you wrote about John Kerry's uh, Senate speech over the summer, uh, slamming the, the politics behind everything that's going on uh, here and, and the, the claims that, you know, concerns about global warming as a conspiracy. You quote John Kerry uh, saying, uh, quote, uh, calling the political discussion a, quote, conspiracy of silence, a story of disgraceful denial, backpedaling, and delay that has brought us peris- peril- perilously close to a climate change catastrophe, it is a conspiracy that has not just stalled but demonized any constructive effort to put America in a position to lead the world on this issue. Climate change is one of two or three of the most serious threats our country now faces, if not the most serious, and the silence that has enveloped a ro- once robust debate is staggering for its irresponsibility. This is John Kerry speaking. Yeah. He says, I hope we confront the conspiracy of silence head on and allow complacence to yield to common sense, narrow interest to bend to the common good. Future generations are counting on us. That's John Kerry, now the nominee for the uh, State Department, um, Secretary of State. Does he, and, and you have some experience in this, I suspect, uh, working with the Clinton administration, does he actually have that kind of of control over a State Department decision. In other words, if the State Department looks at this, does their environmental study, whatever they do, and come back and say, yeah, it looks okay to us the way it looked okay to uh, the Republicans who have now approved it up in Nebraska as of yesterday. If he gets a report like that, does he and or will he then say, I don't care 
what the findings are. I'm the Secretary of State. I cannot recommend approval of this pipeline. Well, a lot of the issue on the State Department review was just how much they were considering uh, climate change. And and not just the emissions, but uh, as we've learned in recent weeks and months because of, of studies, the, there are lots of secondary impacts that are quite devastating uh, uh, in terms of climate, which is the impact on the, the boreal forests up uh, in Canada, which are repositories of carbon and which are being cut down to uh, dig up this tarry, uh, uh, oozy, yucky substance. Right. Um, so, um, you know, this is a national interest finding. And if the Secretary of State says, you know, it's not in the national interest, he can say it all by himself. And now, you know, Obama can overrule him. Right. But, uh, you know, that would be a doubly big deal. Uh, he could overrule him in, in both directions. In other words, John Kerry can say, uh, yes, let's do this, and Obama can say no. John Kerry can say, no, we don't want to do it, and Obama can say, yeah, I want to do it anyway, right? Yeah, and I must say, I mean, again, it, it's hard for me to believe that when the president was, you know, calling up John Kerry and saying, I'd like you to be my nominee, uh, that I, I mean, it's possible Kerry never mentioned this, but, you know, he knows that this big decision is coming. At the time, he might have thought the decision was going to made, be made before he got there, but I'm sure he told the president, look, Mr. President, I've given this speech about how there's a conspiracy of silence, so I'm going to use the bully pulpit of Secretary of State to reassert U.S. leadership, and it's going to be awfully hard to reassert U.S. leadership um, moral leadership on this central issue if we say, hey, we can, ex- you know, exploit the dirtiest uh, fossil fuels, but we don't want anyone else to. And and, and yet, Joe Rome, and, and Desi Doyen, you can jump in here to correct me on this, uh, didn't the State Department before, okay, last year, uh, late last year, I guess it was, uh, the, the Republicans in Nebraska, the governor up there said, oh, we don't want this pipeline, after all, going over the uh, the aquifer, uh, they rejected it. That gave Obama the reason to reject it. But prior to that, hadn't the State Department already given their approval for the first, uh, for the first planned route for the, uh, for the Keystone XL? Well, as I remember it, as I understand it, I believe that they approved the environmental impact statement at the time. And what I recall is that there were quite a few problems and criticisms about that environmental impact statement that TransCanada, which is the pipeline owner, uh, they actually were allowed to choose the company that was going to develop <laughs> that environmental impact statement. And that there were all kinds of other problems that, you know, made it look like, uh, at least gave a very strong perception that the folks at the State Department were doing everything they could to make this go as quickly and as smoothly and as possible for TransCanada. Is that how you remember it, Joe Rome? And if so, what yeah, will we, have changed this time around on the yeah, approval? Yeah, we did, we did do a post that the State Department had outsourced the tar sands pipeline environmental impact study to, to a major TransCanada contractor. And um, I, I don't think that there's any question that that, that um, was inappropriate, uh, in violation of, of the law, really, and that, um, that the, that the analysis really downplayed the, the climate impact. Um, 
and again, I think it's important. And I, we did a post uh, uh, on some recent studies. You know, it, it is important to realize that if you can't get this pipeline, then it's not clear how Canada is going to get all this oil, this dirty oil, to the rest of the world because it would the 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 First Nations uh, don't want them to build the pipeline to you know uh, British Columbia, the west coast of, of Canada. So you know it's it's uh, uh, anyone who says they know that the oil is just going to end up in China if we don't build this pipeline they don't know you know there's no evidence of that whatsoever and I, I don't see from a moral point of view once you realize this is a moral issue then the united states simply shouldn't be complicit in it and so uh, if we're not complicit in it if this keystone uh, pipeline does not get built we're talking about this huge pool of carbon that theoretically will not be released a, a pool of carbon that uh, james hansen nasa scientist calls uh, game over if this is released, and, and uh, forgive me, Joe, uh, I want to uh, quote from you here. I think you're taking this from Hansen in your article today, uh, writing that significantly exceeding 450 parts per million, that's carbon parts per million in, in the atmosphere, uh, CO2, risks several severe and irreversible warming impacts. Hitting 800 to 1,000 plus parts per million, which is our current emissions path and the inevitable outcome of aggressively exploiting unconventional fuels like the tar sands, represents the near certain destruction of modern civilization as we know it, as the recent scientific literature makes chillingly clear. Near certain destruction of modern civilization as we know it, Joe Rome? Yeah, I think that the the sign of community in the last two or three years has really come to realize uh, that we are headed in a path that 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 it's not at all clear that that it could at all sustain seven billion people, let alone the nine billion people that we are going to end up with. And I think that that uh, when you ask people, the experts, what happens if we warm seven degrees Fahrenheit? Uh, it's it's devastating, and and we are headed towards planetary warming of nine degrees Fahrenheit or higher. And people should know that the United States is going to warm up more than the Earth as a whole because the land warms more than the oceans. Um, and the the, nor- the more northern you are, the more you warm. So we are we are headed on a path that is, is rightfully called civilization destroying. And I think when the president said you know, betray our children and future generations, that's exactly what we'd be doing. We're, the New York Times just had an article. We're, we're talking about crossing tipping points that result in 20 to 40 feet of sea level rise. And, and even if the sea level rise doesn't all happen in a century, it becomes unstoppable. And then, you know, what, what right really do we have to destroy the, the livable climate of for the next thousand years, I mean, it's 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 it is a staggering amount of immorality, and um, the tar sands is a is 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 a vast pool of incredibly dirty carbon. And one of the points that Bill McKibben and others have been making is if you, if humanity is going to avoid the worst catastrophe, we're going to have to leave most of the carbon in the ground. That in fact the 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 relatively conservative international energy agency has made the same exact point um so 
if you're drawing up lists of pools of carbon that we should leave in the ground, <laughs> car stance is going to be near the top. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, uh, I'm speaking with uh, Joe Rome, uh, the editor of ClimateProgress.org, author of Language Intelligence, Lessons on Persuasion from Jesus, Shakespeare, Lincoln, and Lady Gaga. Uh, I know you've got to go here shortly, and I want to give out the phone number, by the way. Our number is 818-985-5735, 985 KPFK will take your calls at the bottom of the hour. Desi Doyen is going to stick around with us. And, of course, Joe, you're welcome to stick around as well if you like. But I know you had a role, so uh, I want to get in two quick questions for you. One, um, so uh, it seems the uh, administration is now talking about, since they having a, a very difficult time getting anything done with Congress and the crazy Republicans that we now have in there, they're talking about taking executive actions uh, w- w- that he can take unilaterally. What do you think he can do, and what do you think uh, he will do on his own? And uh, frankly... Can any of it uh, be enough? Can he take enough presidential executive action on his own with the EPA and so forth that it can actually make a difference in uh, in, in our uh, output of greenhouse gases? Well, before Copenhagen, the Copenhagen Climate uh, International Negotiations in, in December 2009, he had pledged uh, the United States would reduce emissions 17% by uh, 2020. And his chief energy and climate aide, Heather Zeichel, uh, said Monday night that the administration intends to meet that target. And um, you could meet it with a carbon tax. Uh, as, as you said, that's certainly more difficult because it, you have to get Congress on board. But he has the uh, authority uh, in the Clean Air Act to regulate pollution from uh, carbon pollution from existing coal plants. And... Um, the Natural Resources Defense Council and others have laid out a pretty straightforward path for him to achieve the uh, carbon pollution emissions reductions he had promised uh, simply using that authority. And remember, that authority came straight from the Supreme Court, um, which said that that you, the EPA, uh, you know, had to find that 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 carbon uh, was uh, a danger to the health and well-being of Americans. That they have uh, to do that stuff. as part of the Clean Air Act, that that's yeah. their responsibility uh, yeah. as part of that law. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, that was the so-called endangerment finding. That mm-hmm. was the, the, the Massachusetts versus EPA lawsuit that led to it. So, um, you know, he can, he's already achieved a lot. I certainly give him a lot of credit for the doubling of fuel efficiency standards which is a big CO2 savings um, for the big push on renewable energy, which has doubled renewable electricity during his first term. And um, But, you know, we need, and this is where John Kerry comes in, we're going to need a global deal. And to have a global deal, the U.S. has to, you know, be able to meet its own commitment that it put on the table. Um, otherwise, it allows a lot of other countries to hide behind our inaction, uh, like China and India, who... who I think could be persuaded to make real commitments, uh, but they don't have to as long as we're not doing anything. Well, yeah, and we need a global deal, but to get a global deal, it then has to be ratified by two-thirds of the Senate. And I don't know how the hell that ever happens, Joe, even with the, uh, you know, with the larger, uh, democratic majority that you have in that Senate. Uh, before I let you go here very quickly, uh, you're the author of Language Intelligence, Lessons on Persuasion from Jesus, Shakespeare, Lincoln, and Lady Gaga. 
What's that book about, and uh, why should we go buy it? Oh well, and I'll have to. I, have you have you had a chance to read it yet? No, I haven't. Uh, well, you should send me your address. I'll I'll, I'll get you a copy. Uh, I spent uh, twenty years studying the best communicators in history and understand, trying to understand what they do right, and to some extent what progressives have been doing wrong. And I discussed, you know, the the the, the winning strategies, which are fairly basic stuff. Um, Use simple words, uh, use a lot of repetition, use metaphors, figures of speech, irony. This is the lessons that go all the way back to, uh, uh, you know, the Greeks and the Romans and the Elizabethans who kind of raised this, uh, it's called rhetoric. It's ended up, uh, uh, I didn't put the word rhetoric in the title because people have this wrong notion of rhetoric, but the, the tricks, the techniques of persuasive speech were invented centuries ago, and they have been demonstrated in scientific studies by social scientists and and the marketing industry that they actually do work. And if you read this book, you'll tweet better, you'll write better, uh, you'll be able to give better, uh, more memorable and persuasive uh, talks. Uh, if you go on a date, you can be more memorable. If you're in a job interview, so um, the, these are the secrets. Anyone can. Uh, uh, you know, can read the book and, and uh, language intelligence. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I, I think, you know, uh, um, uh, Van Jones gave me this. He really persuaded me to pursue publishing this book. He, he wrote, uh, he told me this book changed my life and it can change yours too. And, and, he, and that's from one of the best public speakers that the progressive community has. So, Anybody, I think, could benefit from this book. No doubt. And I'm sure you have a chapter devoted to me in there, Joe Rome. That would be Language, Intelligence, Lessons on Persuasion from Jesus, Shakespeare, Lincoln, and Lady Gaga. Joe Rome, editor of ClimateProgress.org. Hey, uh, Joe, uh, hang on the line. We're going to go to a break here, but I want to uh, swap an address with you when we go to okay. break. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your time here and appreciate your work every day at ClimateProgress.org. Our phone numbers are 818-985-5735 if you'd like to get in on the conversation. Going to let Joe go, but we're going to take a break and be back with more of your Bradcast. Desi Doyen's going to stick around. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. This is the Bradcast on KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman. We're going to take a quick, quick break, and then we're back with much more right here on KPFK. Hello, I'm Terrence McNally, host of Free Forum. Everywhere we look now, things seem to be broken. Education, health care, environment, corporate greed, politics, media, equity, justice. On Free Forum Sundays at 1 p.m., I ask how things got broken. Perhaps more importantly, how do we fix them? So if you're looking for solutions, tune into Free Forum with Terrence McNally 1 p.m. Sundays on KPFK and kpfk.org. 
From Portugal with English subtitles, Taboo is a sumptuous, eccentric, two-part tale centered on Aurora, an impulsive, cantankerous elderly woman hospitalized in grave condition, and her neighbor Pilar's attempts to contact a mystery man from Aurora's past, a journey which takes her to a time 50 years before, during the Portuguese colonial war. A poetic, moving tale of a forbidden love affair, it features a soundtrack of Phil Spector songs. Taboo opens on Friday, January 25th at Lemley's Royal in West L.A. and Playhouse 7 in Pasadena. KPFK Film Club members are invited to call the front desk during business hours at 818-985-2711, dial 0 for operator, for a pair of tickets good Monday through Thursday. And if you aren't already a film club member, please consider joining at kpfk.org. Hit me with your best shot, indeed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman on KPFK. Hit us with your best shot. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Will Barack Obama actually, will he do anything? Will, will he actually, <laughs> does he mean it? Is he all talking no action, is or is he, he actually going to do something on climate and on the Keystone XL pipeline? Is he, and frankly, should he? Should he do anything, or is this uh, none of our business? Everything's fine. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Anybody who says that uh, global warming is uh, something to worry about is crazy. Eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five is our number. Uh, Desi Doyen is going to uh, join us to field your questions on this issue if you'd like to get in, uh, as well. Let me say, I promised some news here before we go to the phones. Okay. Uh, I promised some, uh, some, some news about Tom Hartman and KPFK. So uh, if you got Tom Hartman fans out there who have been uh, wondering what happened to him after uh, he was dropped by another uh, radio station in this town, um, he'll be coming to KPFK pretty soon. As a matter of fact, next week, I'm happy to announce my friend Tom Hartman uh, will be uh, will be preempting the broadcast. He'll be all week long uh, at 3 p.m. for one hour next week as uh, a lead up to a, um, a press conference he's going to have at the uh, was the L.A. Pro- uh, there we go the L.A. Press Club. And actually, the press conference is going to be at the Steve Allen Theater next Saturday. So that's a week from Saturday. So Hartman is going to be on uh, for an hour each day, 3 p.m. next week only for now. There's more news coming in a second. And uh, and he will be here in town to announce his his future cooperation, shall we say, with KPFK uh, at the Steve Allen Theater, 4773 Hollywood Boulevard, Boulevard. in uh, Los Feliz next week. Yes, and that's next two next Saturday. Sorry, next Saturday at two p.m. February second. That's it. Uh, and so you can stop by, see Tom Hartman, and uh, and maybe me. Maybe I'll stop by and say hello as well. Yeah, and the Steve Allen Theater is kind of a cool and place you, anyway. You coming? Yeah, I'll be there. All right. You Absolutely. Will? All right. Well, if you're going, I'm going. All right. Uh, so that's next week. Uh, so we won't be here next week. We'll be here, of course, the week after. And uh, But it's uh, 3 p.m. only next week, uh, all uh, five days in a row. Tom Hartman and uh, 
and then he'll be uh, with us beyond that, and we'll have details of that coming up. Well, we'll let have Tom have them a week from Saturday at the Steve Allen Theater. Uh, okay, some uh, breaking, a bit of breaking news here before we get to your calls. Uh, Leon Panetta today has announced uh, that they have lifted the ban on women in combat. In the military. That would be Secretary of Defense, I guess. Yes. Sec- uh, out, the outgoing. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> outgoing who does that sec stuff? def. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, congratulations, Desi. You can now go uh, get killed in the war. Well, you know, women were already dying in the war in near combat conditions yeah. anyway. So, this basically just makes official what was already happening. And, you know, yeah, I think that, that women deserve to have the full rights of citizenship, including serving your country. Including the right to die and get killed over in the in combat. Wars yes, that absolutely. Are stupid. All right. Absolutely. Okay, I believe you. Uh, congratulations then on that. 818 is our number. And then uh, this breaking news where am I here? Hang on. Uh, this this is remarkable, and I suspect we're going to be talking more about this in the future. But this coup that is underway in Virginia, in the state house, it started a few days ago on inauguration day. Uh, in when in all the, the Democrats in Virginia were in Washington, not, not just all one, one, one Democrat, one state uh, senator had the temerity. Uh, a civil rights legend in his own right had the temerity to go and enjoy the uh, inauguration in Washington, D.C. You have a, uh, a, st- a state Senate there, which is 20 to 20 Republicans, Democrats. So one of them had the temerity to go to the inauguration. And what did the Senate Republicans do? They ran a coup. They ran through. They jammed through a bill that nobody saw coming, completely redistricting the state. Uh, and uh, uh, killing one uh, Senate district there and uh, basically gerrymandering it, taking advantage of the fact that one Democrat was gone. This bill ended up passing in the state Senate 20 to 19. It's going to the House. Uh, it, it may or may not be uh, face uh, state's constitutional muster because of the way they did it. But the coup now continues in Virginia uh, beyond that. And we're seeing this in a bunch of uh, so-called Democratic uh, states around the country. Today, legislation that would apportion Virginia's of uh, Virginia's electoral votes by the winner of each congressional district instead of the current winner take all system emerged from a Senate subcommittee today without a recommendation. The vote in a privileges and elections sub- subcommittee was three to three with Senator Jill. Uh, this is surprising with Senator Jill Holtzman Vogel. A Republican. Uh, a far-right Republican. Actually, an attorney who also, uh, her, her firm represented Nathan Sproul. His company was the one who was committing all of this uh, voter registration fraud on behalf of Republicans leading up to the election. Anyway, she sided with Democrats, surprisingly enough, uh, to produce a tie on the six-member panel. Nonetheless, the legislation now heads to the full committee, where a 10 to 5 GOP majority is likely to send it to the floor for the full Senate vote. Senate uh, Senator Charles Carrico, Republican, sponsor of the Senate Bill 723, said he brought the bill because his rural constituents feel that, quote, that their voices are not heard. In presidential elections, he said currently only Maine and Nebraska award electoral votes based on the turnout in each congressional district. Maine and Nebraska also award the statewide winner two electoral votes. Um, the uh, Democratic state senator, John Edwards, said that switching to an apportionment system has the potential for a really skewed election in which a presidential candidate could win the popular vote, vote 
in the state, but in a state like Virginia, still lose eight or nine of the state's 13 electoral votes. And in fact, uh, had this plan been in place uh, last November, despite a solid popular victory for Barack Obama in 2012, uh, this new plan would have given only four votes uh, to nine for uh, four votes for Obama, nine for Mitt Romney uh, in the state of Virginia. We're seeing this in state after state. Republicans are attempting here and now to rig the 2016 presidential election through these schemes. Unbelievable. Yep. Just <clears throat> unbelievable. But they, that's it's, what they do. That's what they do. And uh, I'm not altogether clear on how they can be stopped either. We'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. All right, let's get to some of our phones here. Uh, oh, Jillian in Ventura. Uh, hey, Jillian, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, hi there. Good to have you here. Uh, and I see that uh, you're from the Sierra Club. Well, actually, I used to belong to the Sierra Club. I had sort of dropped out because I was more interested in groups that I thought were a little less mainstream. Mm -hmm. But today, they have announced that after 120 years of never doing this, yep. they are going to support civil disobedience mm -hmm. um, against the pipeline. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty major step on their part. You know, they say, the, the director says, time is running out to stop climate disaster. And so they have, after 120 years, decided that they will no longer refuse to, to break the law. Right, and and this civil disobedience that they're talking about specifically is a huge action, a march on Washington on February 17th. That's going to be mm -hmm. on the National Mall. It's uh, organized by 350.org. Joe Rome earlier referred to that. That's the one that's headed by Bill McKibben. That uh, the goal is to bring down uh, concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere to 350 parts per million in the atmosphere. That's why they call themselves 350.org. They are organizing this. They're calling everybody who can to get to D.C. on February February 17th on the National Mall for and, this action. And Michael Brune, the executive director, also uh, came out. Of Sierra Club. Uh, of Sierra Club, uh, also uh, came out recently, uh, along with Joe Rome, thinking that the president will, in fact, reject the pipeline. That's what his prediction yeah, is. He we'll also made, he right. made it along the same yeah. lines. Uh, the moral yeah. idea that the U.S. cannot say, on the one hand, that we have a moral responsibility, a moral imperative to do this, and then... Uh, approve the Keystone XL pipeline. Jillian, is this change in uh, policy position for the Sierra Club going to change? Now that they've been radicalized, are you going to be uh, joining back up with those uh, radicals, Jillian? I immediately went online, rejoined, <laughs> sent them an email saying I applaud their decision. and Because uh, I'm a big supporter of 350.org. Superb. And I just think they need all the... They need all the backup they can get. Uh, we, we all do. We all do. Thanks. Exactly right. Thanks, Jillian. I do appreciate okay, the call. Thanks for checking in. Uh, all right. Let's go to uh, Randy in Tustin. Uh, hey, Randy. Welcome to KPFK. Hey, Brad. I want to let you know, get your viewpoint, because about your last point, you just talked about the back, back <clears throat> gerrymandering that the Republicans did in Virginia. Yeah. And as I strongly believe the only reasons why the Republicans didn't win the last presidential election was because they couldn't get, um, they couldn't cheat anymore, at least for that particular election. Um, they got caught and a lot of preventative measures happened. Otherwise, the cheating would have continued and, uh, et cetera. Uh, and so your question is? 
Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, you know what? I, I think they will uh, get away with anything that they can get away with. They did, in fact, get away with quite a bit. I just saw a report uh, showing that... Uh, uh, that the, the restrictions on voting and registration and the lines down in Florida led to some 200,000 fewer voters being able to cast their vote than yeah. would have otherwise voted down in Florida. Yeah, listen, they tried to get away with whatever they could, and now they're doubling down. Instead of, you know, bothering to, you know, come up with ideas that people like, they're gaming the system. And they figured out this could be... This is quite troubling, the way they're uh, changing the system now uh, to, in, instead of so winner-take-all electoral that, system. Yeah. Why can't you call that cheating? You can. I, uh, well, I, I'm calling it rigging the system. They're doing it w- in a way that right now seems to be perfectly legal. Oh, I see. Legal. I understand that. Yeah. I understand that. So, uh, no, I... Immoral, I, I immoral yeah. is hell, but right. legal. Right. Well, okay, yeah. Thanks, Randy. I, I appreciate you uh, checking in. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's go to uh, Roger in Venice. Hey, Roger. Welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. I, I really do appreciate your version of the news and information. Uh, uh, Thank you. Whenever you do it. And also, I would like you to um, emphasize more that for the first time in planetary history, we it's required, it's not optional, that the entire planet act in synchronous action to uh, combat climate change. It's not climate warming or global warming. It's climate variability and change. And uh, I, I went to the uh, the uh, speech up at UCLA by McKibben. Mm-hmm. And oh, yes. when someone like that, when someone like that comes from the establishment and himself suggests that we disinvest from the carbon fuel producers, you know that he is absolutely panicked. Yes, uh, he's, he's he's saying go against the establishment, and he's from the establishment. Indeed. Yeah, he uh, basically Bill McKibben right now is running a divestiture campaign. He's going around exactly. to different You're colleges right. all around the country and getting uh-huh. the students to call on their boards to divest from fossil fuels in their pensions and in all their other investments in order to start pulling that money out of the fossil fuel industry. And Roger, I don't have to uh, tell people that you just did, so I appreciate you doing that. Uh, thanks for uh, checking in. Eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five eight one eight nine eight five KP. There was one interesting thing that I noticed about the inauguration, canvassing through the international media to see what their responses were. And it was quite a contrast between the uh, American media versus international media. American media said, Obama says he's going to do this. Obama says he's going to do that. International media, however, framed it as Obama is asking Americans to work together to do this. Obama says we should do this together, basically saying that Americans, regular Americans, have to stand up and take action and demand these changes. So that was an interesting way of putting it, and that's exactly what Roger was talking about. We all have to work together to combat. Well, that you know, that foreign press, they're used to, uh, you know, countries where people follow their leaders, and and they don't understand the kind of opposition we have in this country. (laughs) Seriously, they don't. They don't understand just how insane Republicans are and how anything that happens here is going to have to be done working around Congress. And in spite of. And then threading the needle back around uh, all the people who say, well, he's, he's working around Congress. His executive action, like his, his, his executive actions. No executive orders on, on guns last week. Just executive actions, all pretty tame, by the way. And yet you've got people saying, uh, tyranny, Nazi, he's uh, Hitler giving these I know, executive and that's orders. Just- 
from this mild stuff. Yeah, so good luck uh, threading that needle. 818-985-5735. Let me go to, okay, speaking of the president's dress, uh, William in Long Beach. Hey, William, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, you just stole my thunder on that. That's my (laughs) point about him asking. He's asking, I got it, like he's, he's asking for cooperation from the American people. That's a lot different than an absolute, uh, we've got to get this done. And I don't know how firm the American people are. I mean, take your Californians, for instance. People love their cars out here. I, I mean, statewide, how many registered automobiles are there? 40 million? Well, yeah, but we don't have to get rid of our cars, uh, William. He's not asking anybody to get rid of their cars. He's oh, asking. No, I know, I understand that. Yeah. But isn't the automobile, isn't it a, a major culprit in, in, in what's happening with the, uh, with the climate in the last 50 years? I, I think it is, Des. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, you know, yeah. but there's other things that, that Californians have already done. I don't know if people are aware of this, but even as the U.S. population and the California population have gone up, Californians' energy use, our electricity use, has actually remained flat over the last 30 years. We have instituted so many energy efficiency changes and standards. Um, uh, we have uh, more efficient power plants than other parts of the country do. So even though we have all seen an increase in population across the U.S. The California Californians have done very well so at keeping was, our electricity use uh, flat. What was your uh, point, William, in, in bringing up the cars in California? Well, uh, people, uh, I think generally as a population, people are, have a certain comfort level, and and that comfort level it causes it causes of. Uh, you know, there's energy use there. There's exhaust. There's yeah, but you know what? We could do so. That, that, that was an argument that people used to give. Oh, I don't want one of those tiny little uh, uh, tinderbox, tinbox cars, you know, that, uh, that I would be required to get if I wanted fuel efficiency. Well, nonsense. The Prius is like the best-selling car in the world. So, you know, there are ways to do all of this uh, that, uh, you know, while sacrifice, I think, comes into play it, 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 to a certain extent. And not really a whole lot for individuals. Whole... No, what we're really talking about here, the big wedges that we can do stuff with, uh, that we can actually make a big dent in this, is dealing with industrial sources of carbon pollution. That's what Australia is doing right now. They've instituted a carbon tax on the 500 biggest industrial polluters. That would be refineries and coal-fired power plants. You know, there are ways that we can do this and big chunks that we can take care of. The National Renewable Energy Labs has a study out that shows that we can take care of these things without having to go through this major Restriction, um, you know, that we'll have to like turn all the lights off and go wear burlap sacks. Uh, yeah. You look good in burlap. Okay, well, thanks, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for the, uh, your time. Thanks. Thank you, William. I appreciate you checking in. Uh, let's go to Gary in Santa Ana. Hey, Gary, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, how you doing? I'm okay. I'm Great right. show. I'm, Thank you, and, sir. Uh, I like the diverse uh, topics you're on. Uh, really, I mean, I'm just uh, calling to say, you know, if you could talk a little bit more, you kind of halt burn rubber through the Tom Hartman. Uh, uh, Bit right there. I just couldn't write, get to my <laughs> pen fast enough. And if you could just quickly go back on that, or if, you, sure. if you're going to if you're going to give it out later on again, I'll I'll listen for it. Uh, I'm just you know. I'll give I, it to you now because we're coming up to the uh, to the top of the hour, and they're going to throw me out here. But uh, yeah, Tom is going to be in all next week uh, for uh, during the three o'clock hour with his show, the uh, fine Tom Hartman program, and then he's going to be here in person on Saturday. So that's a week from this Saturday, February second at two p.m. Uh, for an L.A. Press Club event that will be at the Steve Allen Theater. 4773 Hollywood Boulevard. 
the Steve Allen Theater, Saturday, February 2nd at 2 p.m. Got, Got it, it, Gary? Got it. You coming by? I mean, yeah, definitely. You know, I think his right. meme and his talking points have been filtering through in the last seven years through the progressive and through the regular news uh, stations, and I, I think he's a very important, uh, very trenchant personality that definitely would help the whole uh, world if they got to listen to this guy. I hear your brother, and he will be and here. You t- and you as well. You're very kind, Gary. I do appreciate it. And uh, stop. Uh, make sure to say hello uh, yeah, February 2nd, because I, I hopefully I'll be there as well. Appreciate the call, Gary. Uh, let me see if I can get in uh, one or two more calls here. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. I didn't even get to play the uh, the clip from Joe Biden. At the, how long is that? Do I have time to, to play uh, clip number two? Go ahead. Uh, roll clip number two, G, if you could. And I also came to tell you what my green wish is. That we finally face up to climate change in this country. We finally face up to climate change in the world. And I don't intend on ending this four years without getting a whole hell of a lot more done. The American public has awakened. There is global warming. There is a science back in the White House, and with your help, we're going to get done what we need to get done. God bless you all. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Thank you. Okay, that was Joe Biden at the Green Ball last uh, Saturday, the inaugural ball, or Sunday, Sunday, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, with Barack Obama on record as he was for over a minute in his inaugural address, with Joe Biden going out on the record with his green dream right now to do something about global warming, I don't know how this administration cannot do something uh, in the upcoming uh, term. Well, but yeah. <laughs> we'll see, because they've disappointed before. One last call before we uh, get out of here. Carrie in Torrance. Welcome, Carrie, to the broadcast. Hey. 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 What's up? Uh, one thing I, I just I always think about when I think about global warming, and now the world is collaborating, and I wonder why nobody mentions the free energy invented by Nikola Tesla. Uh, the free energy invented by Nikola Tesla? But Nikola Tesla, he patented over like 200 products. Um, he invented the MRI coil. He was uh, very popular. He he was an immigrant from Croatia. It's N I K O L A. Yeah, I've heard we've heard his name, uh, and I think the car manufacturer is named after him. But what what very quickly? What's the clean energy? Oh, we got to get out. Don't we? What what very quick? What's the clean energy? The free energy it's, from Tesla? It's the alternating current. It's it's free energy. He he ran a. Uh, it's, it's just basically magnetic. It's from the solar. It's from the ground. It's just basically clean energy. Right. And it was uh, put a blanket over by Southern California Edison and by J.P. Morgan. All right, I'm going to put I'm going to put Desi Doyen on the case and figure out what happened to uh, Tesla's free clean energy. Carrie, I appreciate the call. Des, you got your assignment? Yeah. All right, great. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, of course, our uh, super-duper associate producer, Margo Paez. Hurry back, Margo. We missed you. G on soundboard and, of course, sitting in uh, helping us out on the phones today, Christine Blasdale. Thank you, Christine. Thanks also to my guest, Joe Rome of climateprogress.org. And uh, we won't be back next week, uh, as Tom Hartman will be in for me for a change. Uh, but until then, we'll see you the following week. Until then, you can follow me, find me at bradblog.com and on the Twitters at the Bradblog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America. <laughs>